from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, everybody. It's Eli. Hey, y'all. It's Diana. We're here with a crazy big story today. So big that we had to put it into two parts. I mean, this is Ridley Scott level, epically huge ancient Rome story, and we just couldn't contain it in one episode. Couldn't contain it in one toga. That's right. (laughs) And uh, so no time for chit chat today. No cute back and forth. No shooting the shit. That's right. So uh, we're going to dive right into the content because it's just such a big story and it's got a big payoff. A lot of big stuff in this one. (laughs) You'll see. You'll get that one later. (laughs) This is a story about Roman leaders fighting for power, and as such, there's a lot of violence in it. So we'll give you a heads up before we get to anything too graphic. There's lots of sex, though thankfully we don't have the fine details and we won't get into very graphic speculation. So don't worry about that. There are several references to genital surgery and a brief account of non-consensual castration, plus a dash of animal cruelty now and then. Roma! Hey, that's how we do it in ancient Rome. (laughs) You know how it is back then. So welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Another exciting episode of Ridiculous Romance, where we're going to be talking about another batshit crazy story of insanity. Yeah. Okay, this is a story about ancient Rome. So there are a lot of characters. 
there's a lot of politics. I mean, it's like a Game of Thrones meets Gladiator meets... Daytime soap opera. Daytime soap opera definitely meets um, just murder, a lot of murder, um, and a lot of people doing really crazy things um, in the quest for power. So, But at the end of the day, like one of the wildest stories about ancient Rome I've ever heard. In fact, uh, this person almost deliberately put to shame like Nero and Caligula. So it's That's pretty, really saying something. It's, it's a lot. This is the story about Elagabalus, who was the first and as far as we know only transgender ruler of Rome. We're going to talk about her husband, Hierocles, who was a champion chariot racer and has a real rags-to-riches gladiator-type story. Uh, we're going to talk about Elagabalus's many other partners, mm-hmm. wives, husbands, mm-hmm. sex slaves. Uh, she was wild. And Anna Grandma. We're not going to leave her grandma out of the story now. Yes, but that's not sexual. <laughs> no, thankfully. <laughs> yes, no, no we are going to talk about her grandma. That's, <laughs> I want to delineate that from... <laughs> You're all right. the sexual partners. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't meaning to equate those. That felt connected, but it's not. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah. Among all the crazy shit in this story, I don't think incest really comes into it. Well, thankfully, there's one thing that doesn't come into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's very few accounts of Elagabalus's life, and we'll get into why towards the end of the story as well. And there's very few accounts of like Hierocles's life, or indeed many of her other partners. There's just not a lot we know. There's three kind of main texts that everyone uses from the era. But especially in recent years, historical scavengers have really been cobbling together all this information that they have been able to find about her life, piecing together what ends up being a very interesting and shocking and messy story about a very complicated person living in a very difficult time. A lot of what we know, we're going to be citing a lot. This work by Cassius Dio, who was a statesman and a historian at the time. He lived around then and and wrote things sort of as they were happening. Most of the broad research and the few historical accounts that do exist refer to Elagabalus with male pronouns, but present-day researchers and analysts are using she-her pronouns, and so that's what we're going to do, because the goodness of a person does not dictate whether or not we respect their preferred gender. Exactly. She made it very clear, and we'll get into this, that she was and wanted to be referred to as a woman and, yeah, just made it expressly clear how she wanted people to refer to her. And that's kind of pretty much the dominant reason that we're taking it this way and, and presenting it in this way and why most other modern uh, researchers are doing the same. Mm-hmm. Look, trans people existed in Rome long before and long after Elagabalus. OutHistory.org talks about how this was even a respected practice among priestesses of Kybel, who was a goddess. These were people who were assigned male at birth who would celebrate this ritualistic castration and then wear women's clothing and go by female names. The author of that piece says, this was a highly ritualistic and mystical understanding of gender identity. And that's something I think that we see a lot in other cultures, older cultures, non-Western cultures, that they approach gender in a very kind of mystical way and see something sort of transcendent about the gender experience and gender variants uh, that we, of course, in our society have not fully embraced. But the thing that makes Elagabalus' story so unique is that she was a huge, historical, powerful figure with a very strong gender variance, and that really disrupted the status quo. So we are going to get into Elagabalus' whole story, and it's a doozy, so let's get to it. 
Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So before we can talk about Elagabalus, we've got to talk about how she came into power. And that we could go back hundreds of years <laughs> and talk about all the history that led up to this because it's ancient Rome and that's just how things were. One thing led to another. But we don't want to go back too far, so we're just going to back up a little bit and we're going to talk about Emperor Caracalla and all these people. So let's let's take a look at our cast of characters that we're going to be talking about, especially in the early segment here. Emperor Caracalla was a tyrannical emperor, as so many were. No, tyrannical? Weird. <laughs> That's so weird. In Rome? No way. Anywhere on Earth? <laughs> right. I mean, a power corrupts. Leader? Power corrupts. <laughs> he ruled from 188 to 217 AD. So you can see where we are in history right now. And then we've got the Julias. The Julias run all through this story. We've got Julia Domna. That's Caracalla's mother, Julia Mesa. That's her sister, so Emperor Caracalla's aunt. And Julia Soamius, who was Mesa's daughter. So she was Caracalla's cousin. You following? <laughs> Don't worry. It's like Game of Thrones. Once you get through the first few episodes, you start to kind of figure out who's who. Uh, or maybe the first few seasons, right? I was about to say, I don't know. <laughs> Took me a while. <laughs> Just stay with us. Macrinus was the guy who overthrew Caracalla to become emperor, and Elagabalus took over after that. Elagabalus was born Varius Avitus Bassianus. And honestly, Elagabalus was not a name that was given to her until after her death. So she just went by her emperor name. We'll get into all that as well. But first things first, how did she come into power? Well, Emperor Caracalla was the ruler of Rome from 188 to 217, 29 years. Right. Like most Roman emperors, as we said, Asshole, tyrant. Uh, his contemporaries saw him as a soldier first and an emperor second. Yeah, apparently, I guess he sucked so badly that French painters in the 18th century used images of him to compare to Louis the Sixteenth, who, Ooh. you know, they famously chopped his head off. Yeah, boy, they must have really. <laughs> they did not like him, and they did not like Caracalla. I guess this guy was so bad he became a good frame of reference for. Badness. Yeah. It's like if you looked up Tyrant, it would be a picture of Caracalla right there. <laughs> I mean, you got to mention these French painters have so many people pe to choose leaders from. To choose from. Bad leaders, too. Like, oh, there's this whole history of tyrants and assholes to pick from. Uh, let me go through the file book and see who we're going to use for Louis the Sixteenth. Uh, we've got the, uh, there's a Ramses in here, there's a Genghis, there's a Napoleon. No, no, no. Napoleon. No, he's not, a, or he's, he hasn't come by yet. Uh, Napoleon's not here yet. Uh, we're going to look at uh, probably uh, one, a couple of the British kings. Louis the 15th, Louis the 12th, probably a lot of the Louis. I got it! Caracalla! This guy, a real asshole. Parfait. Parfait. Ooh, I could go for a parfait. Uh, yeah, well, Caracalla found a lot of the administrative work that came with ruling to be incredibly boring, so he left it to his mother. Julia Domna. I guess she was oh. kind of like an administrative assistant. Damn. <laughs> and Domna and her sister, Julia Mesa, were from a line of Arab priests in Syria who worshipped the Arab Roman sun god, Elagabal. And yeah, more about the Julias later. Don't worry. 
<laughs> the Juli- well, just, we, we'll just get keep, back to the Julias. Just keep the Julias in mind. Yeah. And the way they, uh, the things they do for their children. <laughs> <laughs> so after many years of pissing people off, Caracalla finally pissed off the wrong people who got him while he was pissing on a wall. <laughs> Literally this soldier, Justin Martialis, he was mad because Caracalla didn't give him a promotion. And so you've got this soldier, Justin, storming around. With, oh, well, I'm mad at this guy. I didn't get the job I wanted. Me, me, me. And Caracalla's successor was this guy named Macrinus. And he saw how mad this soldier, Justin, was. And he said, hey, I got an idea for you there, buddy. Why don't you, uh, why don't you murder him? <laughs> I think that worked out great for both of us. Yeah. And tells Justin to sneak up on Caracalla while he was taking a leak. And stab him in the back a bunch of times. Ouch! They love that in ancient Rome. I just, I wouldn't take the job of emperor because I feel like you've got a significant percentage chance of getting stabbed by your own people. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it happened a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know all the Roman emperors, but it seems like most of the ones I know, that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> And guess who else that didn't work out for? Justin Martialis was also killed in the kerfuffle because when you stab an emperor, people tend to notice no matter where he's peeing. (laughs) Uh, So that's just, you know, one of those early lessons of don't do other people's dirty work. Seriously, especially if the successor is the one telling you to do it. I feel like that was pretty obvious. Like either Justin did not know that he was the successor or Uh he was just a big dummy. Well, he's probably like, hey, go do this for me and I'll give you a good job. And Justin was like, okay, I'll just uh, do the stupidest thing imaginable. You think he'd be like, I've heard that before and look at me stomping around with no job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this guy do anything for a job. Jeez. It's been tough times. Right. It was tough times, actually. Caracalla had kind of run things into the ground. There were wars everywhere. Uh, things were not, not so good under Caracalla. In fact, they hated him so much that uh, Macrinus had the full support of the Roman army. They loved him. And the Senate was basically like, yeah, we hated Caracalla. The army likes you. Yeah, sure. You can be in charge. That's Why not? That's all it took. And poor Mama Julia is off in Antioch sorting out boring mail so Caracalla wouldn't have to read it. So she basically didn't know anything about him being killed. And she had also recently learned that she had breast cancer. Right. So the combined bad news about her cancer and also her son being overthrown and killed in a rebellion, um, she decided to take her own life by starvation. Ugh. Yeah. That's what a way to go. Intense. But yeah, I mean, you can see that she's like that Cersei mentality. No, God, sorry, I keep going back to Game of Thrones, <laughs> but... But it's yeah, we're, of, it's pretty apt. It's a lot of people. When you're talking about power, yeah, rulers killing each other for power. Yeah. But yeah, that that sort of like, well, what am I going to do now? My my son who was emperor just got overthrown and stabbed. Like this isn't going to end well for me probably. Very true. They pro- might have gone after her or at least thrown es- her out with nothing. Yeah, especially since she was so close to him and doing all of his administrative work. Like she was kind of the emperor in some ways. I was about to say, sometimes the boring messages have some real dirt in them. You got to read that shit. (laughs) Oh, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, that's probably why she was perfectly content to take that position Mm -hmm. by doing all of his administrative work. Because, hello, that's where the power is. uh, Information is power for sure. So Macrinus takes over as emperor. And he did kind of okay, sort of. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was the first Roman emperor who wasn't previously a senator. Caracalla had left Rome pretty much bankrupt, like we said. There's a bunch of wars going on. Things were not great. So when Macrinus takes over while they're on the road, marching off to war, he 
hasn't even had a chance to go back to Rome yet, and he's suddenly put into rule, and he starts implementing policies, actually ending wars left and right. A lot of these wars they were in started to shut down. He was kind of keeping the peace uh, in a way that Caracalla and previous rulers hadn't been able to do. But I think we all know that war is great for the economy, mm-hmm. right? So especially in Rome, where a lot of your economy is the military. Right. And he said, hey, you know, a good way to pay for all this peace is to cut pay Mm-mm. within the army. And so the military didn't like that. Mm-mm. So he kind of started to lose support from the military real fast. But his biggest mistake is that he pissed off the Julias. Oh, snap. Don't you piss off the Julias. Uh-uh. Julia Domna's older sister, Julia Mesa, who's Caracalla's aunt, don't forget, was ordered by Macronus to return to her home in Emesa, Syria. But he was kind of tiptoeing around, beating around the bush. He's delicately trying to maintain his power. He's trying to keep everybody happy. So he did not, you know, enact some crazy revenge or something. He just let her go home with her massive incredibly massive fortune intact. So she probably just Scrooge McDucked right into it. <laughs> yeah, well, she, the the Julia's family had a lot of power. The Julia's already had like a shit ton of money because they were heavily involved in religion in Syria. Julia Mesa had been working in Rome for 20 years, just stacking coins, right? So like a 20 year fortune she had with her in addition to all the money. The Julia's were a very rich family. Mm-hmm. And Macronus didn't want to fuck with that. Things were tense enough as it was. He was really he was all about keeping the peace. So he was just like, yeah, why don't you get out of here? Because I don't want you causing trouble. But uh, but you can keep all your money. Oh, gee, thanks so much. I'll just go live quietly and forget that you basically fucked up my whole family and kicked me out of my house. <laughs> yeah, right. As if any part of her felt that way at all. Of course. She got to scheming. Of course she's going to take all her money and crush this motherfucker. And this is where our featured player comes in. And we are going to get to Elagabalus' story right after this. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, and we are back in ancient Rome with ridiculous romance. Sorry. Hi, romance. I thought about it a while ago, and then I was like, it's not that good. But then I was like, I'm going to use it. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Well, good. I don't know if anybody else will be. Well. Julia Mesa had a grandchild born to her daughter, Soanius, named Varius Avatus Bassianus. All the various Avatus Bassianus we have laying around. <laughs> Sorry who was 14 at the time and in line to become the next head priest for the sun god. This kid had really extravagant and, I guess, amusing, kind of flamboyant, I guess, maybe, mm -hmm. rituals that they were performing for the sun god. And soldiers were coming from all around just to watch her perform. The Eastern Roman Empire, like in Syria, present-day Turkey, this was very different culturally from Western Rome. Which gods you were worshipping as your primary god in any given region was different from another. And this part of Syria, things looked very different. So these rituals, if Roman soldiers, especially Western Roman soldiers, were around... They're all telling each other, hey, like, hey, you got to go check out this kid. The, the, these rituals are just unbelievable. You got to see it. You got to see it. And everyone go there and they loved it. It was some of the best. A lot of people just really taking a shine to this kid, really rising in popularity. Mm -hmm. So Julia Mesa, like we said, be mm -hmm. scheming. So she started saying, oh, you guys like this kid. Well, did you know that actually that's the love child of my daughter, Soamius, and the previous emperor, Caracalla? So just throwing that out there, no particular reason. <laughs> There's no evidence to back this up. Historians <laughs> agree that it's almost definitely untrue. But the kid kind of looked like Caracalla, <laughs> which was enough. And Soamius technically was living in Rome at the time that this kid would have been born. So they're trying to present this as the true heir to the throne. And of course, then everyone says too, oh, well, Julia Mesa, I mean, surely you wouldn't lie about that because that would sully your daughter's reputation to say that she committed adultery with the emperor and had a child out of wedlock just 
so that you could become the grandmother to the Empress of Rome? Like, Julie Mason was like, oh, the emperor? Well, I mean, I guess she is the true heir, so sort of makes sense. But I didn't say it. You said it. You yeah. know what I mean? I never said it. <laughs> <laughs> She's just dropping hints left and right. This is the soap opera-y kind of stuff to me. <laughs> yeah. Flash forward and Julia Mesa's funding a full-fledged fucking rebellion. <laughs> She's telling everybody she'll pay soldiers for their loyalty. Because she knows they don't like Macronus already, especially that they're mad because he took their money away. And remember, she's got the bills. She's got bank stacked high, just coins coming out of everywhere. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <And> she says, <laughs> What a picture. These coins could be yours. So words getting around. And it's not even barely an inconvenience <laughs> to quote the great. Pitch Meeting. Pitch Meeting. One of our favorite YouTube channels, in case you don't know. It's called Pitch Meeting. So funny. So word gets around, and a bunch of soldiers one night bring Julia Mesa, Julia Soamius, and the grandchild into their tent, and they have a ceremony, and they say, this is the rightful emperor of Rome, and uh, they take the name Marcus Aurelius Antoninus. Fancy purple dress and everything. This is all, uh, you know, as official as a ceremony gets without having the Senate involved, which, of course, they weren't at this point. But everybody starts defecting. It's like nothing. Uh, Macronus's forces are ditching him in droves. Remember, Macronus hasn't even been back to Rome yet. There's still <laughs> a bunch of wars going on and he's still keeping the peace everywhere. He's trying to cool things off and everybody's totally abandoning him. <laughs> He even sent a cavalry out to round up some deserters, and the cavalry ended up killing their own commander and joining Elagabalus, too. <laughs> oh, that's got a sting. <laughs> it's like, I sent you out for deserters and you desert me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, do the other thing. Literally the opposite of what I said. There was this guy, Kamazan, who organized revolt in the Third Legion to fight for Elagabalus's rule. Basically a bunch of military stuff happening, but what happens is that Macronus has to flee to Antioch with what little he has left, which is very little. <laughs> and Elagabalus puts together this army. She's got this commander, Gannis, who was very inexperienced, but he was like super determined. Everybody's very passionate about Elagabalus, this 14-year-old uh, crazy religious kid taking over. They're all about it. It's, money's got to be fueling a lot of this. Money and oh. spectacle. Yeah. Right. They could all be bought. Absolutely. Yeah. So they all show up and it's the Battle of Antioch in the year 218 AD. This is my speculation station. I think from what I read that this seems to be the earliest major battle fought under a transgender person's rule. Uh, and it was a major deciding battle. Macronus tells his soldiers to ditch their heavy armor and shields so they can lighten up and get more maneuverable. They, they helped them break through enemy lines. And it made me think we had just seen this movie on Netflix called Outlaw King, which is about Robert the Bruce. Yeah. It's a highly colored version of Robert the Bruce's <laughs> whole thing. But one of the things he did do was he had a really small force and he was up against, you know, the friggin' king of England. <laughs> so he had he was up against a very formidable army. And what they did was they they like hid in barrows and they they just kind of infiltrated and then killed everyone <laughs> and yeah. took over from the inside. So it kind of reminded me of that. I guess that was a common thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Keep it light. Keep it loose. Keep it light, it's, keep it it's good. It's, I mean, if you're if everyone's expecting everyone to show up in the same thing and then you surprise them. It worked, and Elagabalus's forces did start to retreat, even though Macronus had a much smaller army. Uh, it worked. They were scattering them left and right. But man, oh man, or woman, oh woman, I should say, honestly. <laughs> because 
The Julias were here. I hope you did not forget about the Julias. It's like Dre, you can't forget. <laughs> because Julia Mesa and Julia Soemius leapt from their chariots, they joined the battle, and they rallied the soldiers and ended the retreat. They, they did this huge morale boost, and everybody rallies and just mm-hmm. fought back. Gannis charged in on horseback. It was like a whole epic battle scene. Yep. And Macrinus fled back to Antioch and was later captured and executed, like yep. you do. Yep. Um, and that's kind of how Elagabalus was firmly established. Hey, that's a very exciting story about, you know, some women who jumped in and did some fighting and everybody, you know, kicking ass and taking names. And But if you look at it from another perspective, it's also a crazed, vengeful family spreading blatant lies through a bloodthirsty military to overthrow someone who was determined to be a peacekeeper. So Very it's true. all about perspective. <laughs> like so much of history. Gannis, remember the inexperienced general? But very, but very passionate. But inexperienced but passionate general. Uh, well, according to MakingQueerHistory.com, which is going to be one of our primary modern sources, it's possible that Elagabalus had him killed. For telling her not to draw too much attention to herself. That's not mm-hmm. what she wanted to hear. She liked to draw attention to herself. I know. I mean, the whole reason she's here is because she was flamboyant and had crazy performances that soldiers like to watch. Yeah. And hey, I can get with that. You know, you shouldn't tell people not right. to be themselves. I feel like execution for advice feels a little extreme. But yeah. but it's kind of the beginnings of what really gets shady about Elagabalus's life and work whole as deal. an empress. <laughs> While still in Syria, Elagabalus got to work reshaping Rome. Again, right away, I don't need to get home first. I'm in charge now. I'm going to get some shit done. So she reshapes Rome through every Roman leader's favorite artistic medium, relentless murder. (laughs) She executed these guys who were like governors and knights among Macrinus' followers. She ordered anyone who'd been close to Macrinus back in Rome to get the axe too. Do you think she was like on Facebook, like trying to find all his high school (laughs) friends? (laughs) Non-mutual friends. (laughs) Anybody who's friends with Macrinus needs to unfriend him now. And if you don't, by the end of the day... I'm unfollowing you, and by unfollowing you, me, I'm unfollowing your head from your body. I'm unfollowing your life from this earth. <laughs> Back in Arabia, she took out this guy, Pika Serianus, who was in charge of that province, just because he didn't immediately declare his allegiance. She had no patience. It was like, you're in or you're out. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask you again. And you remember Kamazan? Well, he got promoted to the head of the Praetorian Guard. I mean, despite having zero experience, she just bumped him up. Also, years earlier, Kamazan had a beef with his commander, Attalus, who had demoted him for something he totally did wrong, by the way. But he told Elagabalus about it. So, chop. She gave Attalus the axe to... Talk about cancel culture. (laughs) Something from years ago coming back and totally axing you off the whole... Well, I guess we haven't killed anyone cancel culture, have we? Cancel culture isn't real. <laughs> Wait till we get canceled. We'll have a whole different opinion. I know. <laughs> but hey, why don't you tell us the, the sweet, beautiful story about Valerianus Paetus? Yes, Valerianus Paetus. He was being romantic one day, and he stamped some likenesses of himself, and he plated them with gold to make jewelry for his mistress. That's nice. Like it's a little, nice. like, hey, here's something to remember me by. I guess so. Although if you gave me a necklace with your face on it, I'd be like, what? <laughs> Well, Maybe yeah, it's like but, a locket kind of situation. Yeah, but you don't have any pictures of me, you know? No, it's, why it's, would I? No, I'm saying it's 200. Oh, yeah. 
I hope you do have pictures have of me. so many. On your phone or something. I've deleted them. What, I can see you. Yeah, but if you couldn't, <laughs> I would say here's something with my face on it that you can have. Right, no, it makes sense. People give each other pictures of themselves. It's true. Especially back then, they would do yeah. portraits. It's so true. It's so true. So it was a sweet gesture. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he was from near Cappadocia. And Elagabalus caught wind of this loving gesture and thought, Hey, that guy's having money printed with his face on it because he's going to start a rebellion against me. Kill him. And he died. Yeah. So she's starting off in blood. Mm-hmm. She stuck around in Antioch for a while. There's a couple of little mutinies kind of popped up. <laughs> pop-up, pop-up mutinies. mutinies. <laughs> Have you guys tried the new pop-up mutiny? There's it's... a really cute one in Brooklyn right now. They're so rebellious. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so here's something she does. Before she goes back to Rome, she sends ahead a painting of herself and tells them to hang it over the statue of Victoria. Now, her reasoning was that she thought people would be surprised if she showed up in Western Rome with her Eastern garb. I mean, again, in Syria... Things were very different. They wore different clothes, a lot more like dress-like robes, a lot more jewelry. It was a very different appearance. Plus, she, of course, again, at the time, people are referring to her as the next male emperor. And she is not presenting herself that way. And she thinks she's going to surprise people. So she says, send this painting ahead. But here's how it worked. She told them to hang it over the statue of Victoria, who's the goddess of victory, and her statue is in the Roman Senate. And every day the senators come in and they pay a little tribute to Victoria. So with this painting up behind it, she's basically making it so that the senators are paying a tribute to Victoria and Elagabalus. She's like, y'all can't disassociate me from your little tributes that you're paying. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a bomb ass move. True. It's like the fr- maybe the first instance of sponsored content. <laughs> <laughs> like a little product placement. Yeah. Like this subliminal like messaging. Like Coke and a, or the, stranger, uh, the KFC and Stranger Things or right, whatever. Right. <laughs> You're not going to be able to think of victory without thinking of old Elagabalus. <laughs> so she's got some smooth moves. And this is something that comes up with her story all the time is that in some ways, Elagabalus is fucking awesome. Mm -hmm, In some ways, she is a horrible human being. She brought Syrian customs to Rome. She wore fine silk instead of the traditional wool. She was in those more dress-like robes, which I guess are more dress-like than a toga. I don't know. (laughs) Outhistory.org, which is another of our primary modern sources, talks about Elagabal or Elgabal or many other variations of this deity's name. But there was a difference. Romans created statues of their gods to worship. Very, they were really into statues. Yeah, (laughs) we know those statues. Main art. (laughs) You know Roman statues. Yeah, exactly. And they had big ones of Jupiter and... Demeter. Demeter. Yeah, Demeter. (laughs) You guys know. All the Greek gods you know, but they had the Roman names that we don't know as well. that's the Roman one. Diana, sure. name. Yeah. Go look at uh, Bernini. Uh, You'll learn all about it if you look at Bernini's sculptures. He was the greatest sculptor that ever lived. Oh, my God. We got to go to a museum that had a bunch of his works in it, and it was amazing to see up close. I'll never shut up about Bernini. Well, anyway, so they created statues. They were all great at it. But in Syria, Elagabal was worshipped in the form of a meteoric black stone. And Elagabalus had this stone brought to Rome and built a temple around it called the Elagabalium, where Elagabal could be worshipped. I feel like I'm saying Elagabal. (laughs) I'm having a stroke right now (laughs) saying Elagabalus. Elagabalus brought Elagabal (laughs) to the the form of a stone to the Elagabalium. Anyway, she brought it there to be worshipped. Uh-huh. 
Um, she also had the most sacred relics in Rome transferred from their homes to the Elagabalium so that you could only worship other gods while worshiping Elagabal. So it was another sponsored content. Thing. Yeah, right. I mean, just like really forcing everyone into Elagabal. And mm -hmm. that came from back home. I mean, again, uh, she was in line to to take over for her father as the high priest of this temple to Elagabal in Emma Assyria. That was sort of her whole thing. And she grew up very religious and very into this thing. And again, this is someone who grew up very wealthy, maybe a little spoiled, had a lot of attention all the time. And it was all sort of based around religion. And you know how kids like grow up and you sort of latch on to what brings you the most attention. Mm. And uh, that kind of starts to form your personality a bit. I think that's sort of where this came from. So at any rate, she was very devoted to Elagabal. And wanted to make sure everybody else was too. Mm -hmm. Now, here's where we get into some interesting things. She insisted on being called the Young Empress. And this is how we know that she was trans today. I mean, in our terms, it's very hard. And a lot of the modern discourse says this, that it's it's really hard to apply today's modern understanding of transgender to what she was going through back then. But we do know that she insisted on being called the Young Empress. There's going to be more instances of this where she refers to herself as a lady and a wife specifically many times throughout the story. At any rate, she was not used to this kind of power. Again, she's 14 years old, and she just starts putting all these inept people in positions of power. She promoted Kamazan to the position of consul, which is a really high position, and then later to city prefect, which is a position he would get reappointed to three times which Cassius Dio in his work says, quote, that was a thing that never happened before in the case of anybody else, and hence this will be counted as one of her greatest violations of precedent. And the historian Herodian claims that she would hand out political positions entirely based on the lengths of men's penises. Wow. Yeah. What a qualification. Hmm. <laughs> I'd like to apply for this position. Here's my resume. Well, you can keep that. Why don't you just lift that toga, baby? Let me see what you're swinging with. Yikes. Pretty much. Yeah, she was like, I'm looking for men with a certain set of skills. <laughs> According to historyofyesterday.com, she wore fake breasts. She had her body hair removed. It said that she offered a small fortune to any surgeon who could change her penis into a vagina. This was like a standing offer through the city. Uh, in some accounts, she wandered through the city asking doctors about this. Uh, by other accounts, she just had this kind of everybody just knew that that offer was on the table. And if anyone mm -hmm. could do it, they would. Uh, allegedly, it never actually happened. Cassius Dio even writes that Elagabalus said she wanted castration out of a longing for effeminacy. Right. It wasn't a ritualistic thing or right, a religious like thing. Mm -hmm. It like was. That thing from earlier. Yeah, it <laughs> was that she wanted to be more feminine. She harnessed lions to a chariot and called herself the Great Mother. I mean, that's cool, right? That is pretty cool. I, just if, if you came up in a chariot led by <laughs> lions and were like, call me the Great Mother. <laughs> be like that's she's a badass i will call you the i will mother. call you whatever you want it was fucking cool <laughs> but she would also make naked women pull her chariot around which is like cool except i can't imagine that it was cool for the naked women pulling know, the right? chariot right know. like it's, yeah it's one of those things that in theory it sounds hot or something but then when you do it you're like oh no yeah and if you i don't know yeah if you're the one do pulling the chariot i can't imagine you're in a 
it, you're probably not being well paid for it. Yeah, pretty denigrating thing, and and yeah, not yeah. or paid at all. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. You're getting paid, and you're still alive today. You're welcome. Yeah, you're getting paid an experience. Experience <laughs> of being alive. <laughs> they're getting paid literally an exposure because they're naked. Oh damn. <laughs> Oh, God. She demanded that her pillows be stuffed with rabbit fur, which is eccentric, but not outrageous. She insisted that she wouldn't swim in any swimming pool that wasn't scented with saffron. Seems like a weird choice, personally. Wouldn't it just make every pool smell like a stew or something? Uh, Yeah, I don't really know. I guess. It doesn't scream. I mean, I'm used to swimming pools that smell like chlorine, so (laughs) I guess. So she, she made Rome celebrate a festival to Elagabal. Like we said, that she was very obsessed with this god. And kind of like her whole life, this sort of felt like that scene in The Simpsons. Diane, you were telling me about this, where Homer buys the cursed crusty doll from the creepy yes. Frogurt guy. <laughs> yes. She held a solstice festival to her god every summer and gave out free food. That's good. And during that festival, she'd put the meteoric stone on a white and golden chariot and parade it around the city, forcing others to worship Elagabal as well. That's bad. But she also loved to throw coins into the crowd. That's good. So she could watch poor citizens fight over them. That's bad. She would do these elaborate dances around the altar while drums and cymbals played. That's good. And she forced all the senators to stand there and watch. That, that's, I mean, that seems okay. Yeah, I don't know if I mind that one. <laughs> Fuck the senators. Yeah. <laughs> so in addition to that, she was in, I don't know, what would you call it in today's terms? A horn dog? Yeah, horn dog. <laughs> I think that's the technical term. From makingqueerhistory.com, she was having sex with people across the gender spectrum, and she kept a male slave who she insisted everyone call the empress's husband. And then she would go have sex with other people and make her slave catch her in the act and then, quote, beat her as wives were beaten after being caught having sex outside the marriage. This was a thing for her. And it'll come back up later too. this idea of intentionally being caught and beaten. This whole idea that if, you know, I want to be caught cheating on my husband because that makes me like more of a floozy like that was kind of what she seemed to be sort of fetishizing and going for uh she according to the historia augusta which is one of the texts of the time uh it it actually was written a couple hundred years later and historians say that it's kind of a a mixed bag of truth but in this book they say that she allegedly opened the bath of plotinus to the public which had previously been reserved for uh senators and people who worked in the palace but she opened it to the public specifically to find big dicks. Jeez, she was really on the prowl. Oh, my God. This girl is like, got a big dick. You got a job. You got a big dick. Come here. Mm-hmm. Lord, have mercy. Oh, that's going to come up later, too. I mean, the big dicks are a big part of this story. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, don't forget about Dre. What about Julia Mesa and Soamius? Yes, can't forget the Julias. Well, El Gabalus gave them dope-ass positions. Right. As they deserved for all their help. They became the first women ever allowed into the Senate, and they even made their way onto coins, which was really rare uh, for women in Rome. That's good. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) In the Historia Augusta, they say Elagabalus was the only one of all the emperors under whom a woman attended the Senate like a man, just as though she belonged in the senatorial order. (laughs) As if she belonged there. (laughs) What a weirdo, am I right? Right. Elagabalus also formed the Senaculum, which was an all-woman senate. That sounds cool. And they set rules for women in Rome, such as clothing, 
how to ride chariots, and what jewelry to wear. Okay, so another mixed bag. Well, you've got a ruling body of women Mm -hmm. setting the rules for women, if only... We had something like that today. Wow. But maybe if they weren't regulated to what to wear and how to ride a horse. It just sounds like an elaborate debutante ball or something (laughs) like where they are all like, you have to, you know, put a book on your head or whatever. I don't know. I never was a Deb. Sorry, guys. (laughs) I don't know what they had to do, but you I know. Can you tell from my personality that I was a Deb? (laughs) I thought that's where you learned to curse like a sailor. (laughs) I bet it would have been. Yeah. All right. But we're talking about a lot about Rome and power, and we're talking a lot about Elagabalus, but where's the romance? Where is it? Oh, it's coming. It's coming right now. Right (laughs) as soon as we come back from this commercial break. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. 
And we're finally to the romance <laughs> of this ridiculous romance. Elagabalus married at least five times. How romantic. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. I know, right? Five marriages. Speaking That's of romance. Five times the romance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, her first wife was in early 219. I always almost say 2019, I I almost 2020 with these third century dates. But yeah, in 219, Julia Mesa arranged for her to be married to Julia Cornelia Paula, who was a noblewoman. She had the right lineage. She was a smart political choice for a marriage. Sure. There was not much else behind this yeah. particular relationship. Makes sense. It did not last. Oh. They divorced in 220, which Cassius Dio says was, quote, on the ground that she had some blemish on her body. <laughs> Fucking rude. How dare she have a blemish on her body? <laughs> Elagabalus stripped Paula of all her titles. Damn. And she faded from public view, and we don't know what happened to her after that. Which might be good for Paula. <laughs> I know. I was kind of, I don't know. Knowing what comes, she might have dodged a bullet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that is that is pretty fucked up. I mean, this is, again, all over the place, this Elagabalus. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, she's creating a Senate for women, and then she's... Saying, no, I divorce you because, I mean, clearly there was something else she didn't like about her. And she was like, no, Surely, you've got yeah. a speck on your body I don't like. Mm -hmm. You're out of here. At least she didn't just like chop off her head. <laughs> but there is an ulterior motive here because what happened is that Elagabalus fell in love with someone else. Oh, Aww, this is sweet, right? Yeah. She fell in love with a Vestal Virgin, bringing us to a new, our new segment, uh, Vestal Virgin. Maybe there's not a segment here. I just thought it'd be funny to have a segment about the Vestal Virgins. Vestal, Vestal Virgins. Virgins. No, thank you. This is the biggest no-no in Rome. Uh, Vestal Virgins are untouchable. They are a group of religious women. They were responsible for keeping the eternal flame burning in Rome. That was kind of one of their jobs. And they were freed from the obligations to marry and bury, and bury children. Oh, my God. No, they were freed from the obligations to marry and bear children, and they took a vow of chastity for 30 years in order to devote themselves to areas of study that were forbidden to male priests. Can you imagine if present-day religions, at least the religions we know, had information that men were not allowed to access, oh and the upheaval, the absolute shit that would be lost over that? True. Although you could just put a cover, book cover on it and say it's like a menstruation guide or something. I'll <laughs> well, never yeah. read it. You could trick men from not wanting to know <laughs> it. But if you told them like, and then there's, here's the part of the Bible that men aren't allowed to read. Mm. They'd, they'd go batshit crazy. Yeah. You kidding me? You're right. Anyway, this Vestal Virgin's name was Aquilia Severa. And she married Elagabalus in the year 220, shortly after she divorced Paula. The punishment for breaking the vows of chastity for a Vestal Virgin was to be buried alive. <laughs> I, I mean, there's nothing. First of all, I wouldn't become a Vestal Virgin just knowing that was a possibility. <laughs> I have said this before and I'll say it again. Every decision I make in my life, <laughs> I consider whether it could end with me being buried alive. Mm -hmm. That's why we we'll never mean, go spelunking. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. But beyond that, I'm just like, do I want toast or a bagel with my breakfast? Let me think. Could either one of these end with me being buried alive? Oh, no. That's just something I am constantly considering. <laughs> so I wouldn't have joined the Vestal Virgins. And I certainly wouldn't have broken my vows to marry even the Empress. But she did. 
I mean, this wasn't even some like abstract punishment that never happened. This happened four times during Caracalla's reign alone that Vestal Virgins were buried alive. So this wasn't old news or anything. But Elagabalus, herself a high priest of Elagabal, believed that her marriage to Severa, who was a priestess of Vesta, would cause them to produce divine children. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean... I mean, it just seemed like she was like, I... Oh, she's a priestess. I'm a priestess. We'll have divine kids. Anyway, I do whatever I want. Right. <laughs> it made me think of King Henry just changing the entire religion of right. England to just accommodate himself. Do you yeah. know? Yeah. I'm just going to rewrite the rules because I want to and I'm in charge. I do what I want. There's not a ton of information about Aquilia Severa. And honestly, some sources suggest, this is more in modern discourse. I couldn't find this in like Cassius Dio's work or anything, but they suggest that she was forced into this marriage or even raped. Which I was going to ask about, honestly, because we've talked about this before where it's like, can you even say no to a king or right. to an emperor? I mean, right. if you're if you're picked out, What's your option, really? Right. She, that is hard to say. Because, I mean, just speculation station, I wonder if she could have relied on the the temple to protect her, if the, the Senate would have been like, no, you can't, mm. you can't marry a Vestal Virgin. But it's hard to say because Elagabalus was so unpredictable and so powerful mm-hmm. and so wealthy. Uh, yeah, it's possible that she just, no wasn't an option and she knew that. So she said, yes, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know either. I'm just, yeah. I, I have to You don't to know? Ask. I thought you... <laughs> I was there, but I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> no, you you do have to ask. And I mean, that's kind of the thing too, because another thing that comes up a lot about Elagabalus is that she made, as we'll, as we'll learn, a lot of enemies, and they may have seriously exaggerated claims against her character. Mm-hmm. So we're really just left with speculation. No, not, no, 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 I didn't say the other word yet. They they might have just been talking shit through history about her, and it got conflated right. into fact, so we don't know for sure right. uh, exactly how heinous she was, um, but I guess we know that she was heinous enough. Yeah, and what we do know is that, that Elagabalus and Aquilia Severa's marriage was revoked shortly after. It's not clear exactly what happened, but kind of rumor has it that Julia Mesa got involved. She was like, uh-uh, no, this is too messy. Julia Mesa is running the scenes. I mean, mm-hmm. Julia Mesa has been put in a position of power. It's basically like this high senatorial power that that existed, that women took before her. Uh, so she wasn't necessarily the first to have this position, but she was the first to be in the Senate and the first to run the, sen- the senaculum. So at any rate, Julia Mesa's pulling a lot of strings here throughout this. That's and just as a reminder, that's Elagabalus's grandmother, Soamius's mother. And the rumor is that she shut the whole thing down, that she was like, this festal virgin thing is too messy. I'm not. I'm not having it. Yeah, probably the public wouldn't have liked that either. So maybe she's thinking oh, about. Yeah. Listen, we need to keep a lid on this situation. We just got into power. We can't be fucking around and getting immediately thrown over by the people because you're fucking vestal virgins over here. And you see what happened with Macronus. I mean, as soon as he, I mean, he had full support, and within a very short amount of time, he lost it all and ended up dead. Well, so Elagabalus wanted to find another wife and came across a beautiful young girl named Ania Faustina. Aww. And she was not only lovely, but she was from a noble family. Marrying her was good for power, for money, for politics. It was just a great idea to marry Checking all lady. the boxes. I know, right? She had a this total package. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I, I assume that that worked out fine. They got married and lived happily ever after. <laughs> Ooh. 
turns out, yeah, she was already married. Oops. To some poor schmuck named Pomponius Bassus. Oh, Pomponius Bassus. I don't know if you remember the killing spree Elagabalus went on after becoming empress mm. from earlier in the story. Right. That guy who made jewelry for his mistress and then got killed for starting rebellion. Right. Yeah. So Elagabalus was like, hey, Pomponius Bassus and his buddy, Silius Masala, didn't like my killing spree. They have a real problem with how I'm running things around here, so you did. Oof. Cassius Dio writes that she called Bassus an investigator of her life and a censor of what went on in the palace, which is like apparently a capital crime. So he was snooping and he was talking shit. Uh-huh. That's, that's what she was saying. And she she didn't even try. She wrote a letter to the Senate and said, quote, the proofs of their plots I have not sent you. Because it would be useless to read them, as the men are already dead. Nothing like shooting first and proving stuff later. <laughs> ask for forgiveness. Not permission. Not permission. Or don't ask for permission. Don't ask for forgiveness. <laughs> I think seems to be her, her mo here. So damn, yeah, Elagabalus married Ania, and she was brought back to Rome and made empress. And Elagabalus also forbade her from mourning the death of her husband. Stop crying. Oh, my God. I know, right? I know I just executed your ex-husband and forced you to marry me, but Quit shut up. bitching about it. <laughs> Put a cork in it. Put a septum in it. I don't know. What's a... Put a septum. I guess they had corks back then. I think they had corks. I think corks are corks pretty Corks are old. pretty old. <laughs> they had to close so, yeah. it up somehow. Put a cork in it. Put a corcus maximus in that <laughs> maximus mouth of yours. <laughs> So everybody was really hoping that they would have children, right? Because Anya is from noble birth. She already had two kids with her late husband. Mm -hmm. And they were like, so we know she's fertile, I guess. So come on, let's let's get the kids going. But for some reason, Hmm. they just weren't getting along. I don't know why they weren't getting along. Can't imagine why these two didn't hit it off, like... From the start. Yeah, you'd think this is like Sense and Sensibility, or no, what's the one I'm thinking of? Sleepless in Seattle. (laughs) Same story, right? Very similar. Oh, man. But uh, didn't hit it off, and they divorced by the end of the year. Very short-lived marriage. Partly because Elagabalus went straight back to the Vestal Virgin, Aquilia Severa, and remarried her in her fourth marriage in three years. This is a 17-year-old girl, by the way. Well, there and you go. That's, that's when you make a lot of bad decisions, just speaking <laughs> as someone who was previously a 17-year-old girl. True. <laughs> and honestly, that may, that's going to be an undercurrent in our right. sort of analysis later. I never got married, though, at 17. I'll say that for myself. Good for you. <laughs> Proud of you. Thanks, babe. Me either, while we're confessing. (laughs) (laughs) While we're confessing the things we didn't do. do. Uh, Here's the thing. Aquilia Severa's story, The Vestal Virgin, it kind of drops off here. So throughout everything that we're going to be hearing next, we can only assume that she was just kind of there, chilling in the background, even though there's no more records of her. Uh, But what comes next is really crazy. So it's kind of hard to reconcile that with this part of the story. Which actually makes this a great place to draw the episode to a close and force you to come back on Friday for the epic conclusion of Elagabalus's story. I don't want to go. I don't want to stop talking about this crazy, crazy life. But there's so we haven't even touched crazy yet. We have not begun to crazy this she's, story up. <laughs> she's about to get down and dirty. And I mean, we're talking deadly pranks. Yep. 
uh, charioteers and giant dicks, big old dicks all across Rome, magic potions, lions and snakes and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> it's going to get real weird real fast on Friday. So come back. She's she's got another marriage to go through at least mm-hmm. uh, and, and, a, and a thrilling conclusion to this story. We'll be back with the next part on Friday. In the meantime, don't forget to reach out to us. You know, we're romance at iheartmedia.com. Right, or slide into the DMs on the socials. I'm at Dynamite Boom. I'm at Oh Great. It's Eli. And we're both at Redick Romance. And yeah, we invite you to enter Speculation Station yourself and see, you know, what do you think is going to happen in the story? All aboard. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> Give us your wildest speculation. And until then, we'll see you Friday. See you Friday. So long friends, it's time to go Thanks for listening to our show Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts To listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance From BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast Is going on a road trip I thought in that moment Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. (laughs) Ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.